1: Talk is about to begin. Hey, hey,
2: hey! Come on in. Welcome to our first post-game Buckeye Talk of the 2020 football season. Doug Maurice on my couch, Stephen Means and Nathan Baird in the Ohio State University press box, after Ohio State's 52 to 17 win over Nebraska. We have so much to get to. I put the call out to tech subscribers in the last five minutes. We got 241 replies to that with questions and comments. We got like another hundred over the course of the post game. We can't literally answer 300 questions. So if you sent one, thank you. We probably won't get specifically to your question because it's hard. But I wanted to start with this because we know how things work at Ohio State. I do it too. They have a big win. A win so big it was by more than 29 points which we'll get into later, (laughs) but there are bumps. And then people often focus on the bumps, which we want to get into the bumps, but I don't want to start with the bumps. I want to start with this from the five, one, three. What was the most promising thing you saw today? Nathan, we'll start with you. It can be obvious. It can be little. They did win by a lot against the Nebraska team that I think is a little frisky. You know, I didn't think that was a hopeless Nebraska team, like maybe last year. What was most promising to you, Nathan, about the Buckeyes?
1: Uh, You know, I know this would be also kind of the sentimental answer, but Haskell Garrett coming in and the the plays he made there late in the first half when it was a 17-14 game, and he comes in and gets a sack, is disruptive in a play right after that. Um, Nebraska has to punt Ohio State scores going into halftime and goes up by 10 but just him coming in and having an impact on the defensive interior I thought was really important Ohio State's uh, defensive front was not playing I I thought especially well at that point of the game um, and and had some issues all all day the whole defense did um, at least well into the the third quarter but that was really a moment where somebody you know kind of needed a senior moment and and it 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 pretends well for them. I think going forward, I have said all along that I thought this defense would probably be a little bit behind at this point of the season and grow into something better over the course of it. And I think this is maybe one of those, the first signs of, of a guy giving them some foundation and, and helping them do that.
2: Just as an FYI, for people who are listening to this, you can't see us. Nathan and Steven are in the visitors part of the press box where nobody else is around, but they are still wearing their masks. I can hear them fine. But if they sound 11% muffled from normal, it's because they're being safe and they're wearing masks in the press box. And I am sitting in my house eating chilies. So that's where we are on that. But I also wanted to get this comment from the 4-4-0. Kind of surprising. I worried so much about the defensive tackles, but they might've been the bright spot of the defense today. That's Is that what you're getting at a little bit, Nathan? That it's like, question here, question there. But man, Haskell Garrett had a sack where he just shed the guard, just threw the guy aside and got in there. Follow that up with the play. I thought Tommy Togi, I was in there a little bit. Antoine Jackson seemed to get some penetration. I think Antoine Jackson... Got the Nebraska quarterback one time when he dropped the snap and he was all over him. The tackles, really, I I think, Nathan, what you're saying, if you lined up what was best about the defense, I think tackles might be number one.
1: I think it was the one that you come out of this game with, like, the least concern about in some ways. I think, you know, people are still asking, you know, when is Teron Vincent going to be around? I mean, he was warming up today, was not a factor in this game, didn't play in this game, I don't believe I don't remember seeing him out there. So um, that's something that I think has to still be answered long-term because I think his impact is potentially big if he's able to play, but obviously he needs to be healthy too. So um, again, just uh, – we, we, it was a concern that I, I saw coming from months away. It was is the depth at this defensive tackle position going to be enough? Antoine Jackson playing well helps that. If you get Garrett and Togui both back, or Garrett, I'm sorry, Garrett and Vincent both back at the three technique, and they both start playing well, and all of a sudden you have something similar to what they had last year, where even if those guys aren't like all American level, you start rotating four really quality bodies through those two spots, and it gives teams a lot of trouble.
2: Of course, we will get later in this podcast to the greatest backdoor Doug LaMare's cover of all time. The middleman, the hedger extraordinaire, Nathan Baird, almost nailed it. And then Jack Miller saved me by accident. And it is glorious. But more importantly, Nathan, what did you think? And that's not you, Nathan. Steven, what did you think was the most promising thing from today?
0: I think the nickel package is promising because it was interesting to see it actually work. Josh Proctor is basically in the box. The bullet lives, apparently. You You take tough rolling off of the field. And you bring out another safety. So Josh Proctor's in the box. He's covering tight ends. He's up against the line. Marcus Hooker is still in the back. Obviously, Sean Wade was Sean Wade today. He had the pass breakup. That should have been an interception. Seven Banks was quality. But I think that look works this year because of what your personnel is. You don't have three first-round corners that you can't take off of the field. And so you have to – it's not really multiple. It's just what a basic nickel – Packets would look like where it's two safety, three corners, two linebackers, and four defensive ends, defensive linemen.
2: Excuse me. And, and we really did not see Browning, Baron Browning, as a rush end today. Is that correct? That that look. I don't look, remember seeing it. That no. look really was the nickel look was Warner and Browning at linebacker. Marcus Hooker stays in at safety. I think they might have gone to Cam Brown and take, taken Marcus Williamson out there. Yeah. So you have, mm-hmm. you have, Cam Brown, Seven Banks, and Sean Wade as your corners. And then you got Josh Proctor kind of doing some of the slot stuff that like, okay, if Marcus Williamson's off the field, maybe now Josh Proctor's doing this or he's doing tight end stuff, but he's up at the line of scrimmage. It's a good role for Josh Proctor. And while we're on this, Marcus Hooker clearly first among the deep safeties. They did play Proctor some there by himself Mm -hmm. as a deep safety. And on some third down looks, they had a double safety look with both of them back. Is that correct, Stephen, as we saw it?
0: Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It's Marcus Hooker first, and then Josh Proctor if Hooker's not out there. But, yeah, that's what it is. Proctor's a starting safety, and then when they go two safeties, they'll put them both back there sometimes.
2: And it's – I mean, Proctor is just playing that second safety spot, but he definitely has a role. He's in as a, as a solo safety, sometimes in place of Hooker. He's back deep as a second deep safety with Hooker sometimes. And then he has this nickel kind of strong safety roll up by the long line of scrimmage. I think we're all curious what Josh Proctor's role was going to look like. And I think we got a good sense of it. I did think we got a good sense of it, that he's going to matter to this defense. And you can see it a little bit some plays in space, a little bit of man coverage, come up and hit some guys. It feels like it fits him well. And then you got Hooker kind of on the back end, play on the eraser role, play in center field. I'm glad you guys left this for me. What was promising the passing game? Like, we know it's good, but man, is it good? Holy moly. I thought the idea of Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave together, 13 catches for a 233 yards combined. I thought they got almost anything they wanted in the passing game the only incompletion Justin Fields threw was when he hit Chris Olave in the hands in the end zone and Olave went up for it and kind of got flipped on the hit and landed on the ground and couldn't hold on to it that was the only incompletion they had a they had a couple great route combos they lined up Ruckert And Wilson right next to each other in the slot one time. You can see that defense was worried about a pick play. They hedged outside. Wilson cut on a nice little inside route on a fourth down. Easy pitch and catch. Wilson another time. They split him wide. They only had two receivers, I think, with 12 personnel. Wilson wide. The safety's up in the box a little bit because there's two tight ends in the game. Wilson just runs a route behind the safety, smokes the guy, and Justin Fields hits him for a perfect touchdown. I know it's obvious, of course, but I thought even for an obvious thing that we thought would be great with three incredibly skilled players, Nathan, that was that was all you would want from your quarterback and your two best receivers, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, my um, game time decision was that I thought this was how it was going to play out, that, that uh, Fields would target those guys heavily and maybe just start to sprinkle in the the, the freshmen and in those other guys, but the, for this first week the, debuting the season, I thought they were going to really go to those guys big early on. And that, that's how it played out. I happened to be watching for whatever reason on that play. I had the binoculars out and I was focusing on Garrett Wilson on his first reception. And that way that he, you know, he, he runs out and it looks like it's just kind of a normal, like crossing pattern over the middle. And he just kind of starts weaving a little bit, deeper a little bit deeper and all of a sudden he makes a catch and now he's going upfield. and it was just an interesting wrinkle I thought kind of how you use him vertically even when he's not running a vertical route to start that play I guess that's a, not an uncommon thing in football but then later on we saw more in examples of what are more just like true vertical routes where you can run him too for for big yardage so uh, I don't know what teams are going to do about him uh, I think it's going to be a big problem for the rest of the Big Ten because I, I don't know what you do to match up against him efficiently in the middle.
2: And Steven, okay. we know you are the president of the Garrett Wilson fan club, Urban Meyer on the post game on Fox. And it was weird for me to get to hear the announcers the whole game. I got to watch the pregame. I got to watch the post game. I didn't actually like it that much because I don't care what anybody else thinks. I just want to hear what I think in my own head. But Urban Meyer after the game was saying like, hey America, everybody's gonna know Garrett Wilson's name eventually, right? Get, get ready for this guy. We talked about it so much from the minute, from the moment that we heard and saw Garrett Wilson in the slot. Steven, was this everything you wanted it to be?
0: Everything and more. I I think the most underrated part of him moving to the slot is now you can put him everywhere. And I thought maybe they wouldn't do that until 2021 after he's had a full year in the slot and a full year outside. No, no, no. They're starting it this year. They'll put two tight ends there and they'll make him out wide. Or they'll go three wide receivers as normal and they'll put him in the slot. They'll put a record on the same slot as him. It's moving past just, if you're this, you're only going to do this. It's We have a really good player, and we're going to put him in matchups where he can exploit it. That's what he did all game today. That's why he had the plus 100 yards in his first game as a starter. And to Nathan's point, yeah, I think they leaned heavily on Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson today. Really, the the three freshmen really only played when those guys needed a breather or when Chris Olave got knocked out of the game, first on that touchdown attempt, but then later on in the second half. Before that, they really weren't playing, and, and Jamison Williams was out there, but he only had one target. I'm interested to see how that evolves as the season goes on or if this is going to be every game where if Justin Fields throws it through it 21 times today. 14 of those targets went to one of those two guys
2: from the 614. How long does Jamison Williams retain his starting role, given how good Fleming and especially Jackson Smith and the looked look today? Listen, Julian Fleming caught the one ball they threw to him when he got in mm-hmm. well into the game. And then Jackson Smith and Jigba made one of the best catches I've ever seen. I don't know. He has like, a, it's like a ballet move. Did you guys get a good replay shot of that in the press box? His yeah. catch in the back of the end zone. He he moved, he was out of the back of the end zone and reached his foot like it, like his leg became detached from his body and got down in the back of the end zone. I, I don't know how he did it. I think this is interesting, Stephen. I know you wrote about it right after the game. I think we had wondered about this a lot, but clearly not an equal rotation, not anything close. And does it feel like now we don't know the report from Ryan Day after the game about Chris Olave was like, he seems fine, right? I mean, he did take a shot. I thought initially, man, that might be something, Um, but that's not what they're saying at the moment. Stephen, if if Garrett Wilson and we don't know exactly, you know, we can't judge Jamison Williams on one game. He's not losing his starting job because he only had one catch. Does it feel like to you that like Chris Olave and and, and Garrett Wilson in a game that matters, for instance, next week against Penn State, are going to play like ninety percent of the snaps?
0: Yeah, it, it does. Honestly, what this team, Jamison Williams and those freshmen are missing is that Bowling Green Buffalo game where they can kind of get some reps and get some extra targets because. You probably you don't need Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave to win that game whatsoever. So you can rely on that. But yeah, early in the season, they're going to have to rely on Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson a lot. And Jackson Smith and Jigma showed some things today. But as Ryan Day said, you don't really know until these guys get a chance to put on pads and actually get hit when they're catching these passes. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a similar type of thing against Penn State, where if Justin throws it 30 times, 18 of them probably are Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, maybe more than that.
2: I do think maybe after Penn State then they can maybe start easing these guys in a little much but Nathan we yeah. had sort of asked Ryan Day about this and the build up and didn't Ryan Day had kind of admitted building up to this like hey yeah these freshman receivers are a little bit behind right and it felt like we we certainly saw the effects of that today with the, how little they played
1: you got to remember, in in these situations, whether it's playing time decisions or play calling decisions, a lot of times it comes down to trust. What does a what does a coach trust these players to do? And if you haven't seen guys out there taking shots, mixing it up really physically as much as you normally would have at this point, I think it erodes that trust. It's not really any fault of theirs. They just you haven't had the same opportunity that you would have had with a whole spring and with a normal preseason. So again, I, I think that the I agree with Stephen that early on, at least, I think this it is going to be. The bulk of this offense goes through those two guys. That's also the two guys that Justin Fields would have the most natural connection with, and the most like established connection with. And then the, those those other roles are going to grow. But I mean, I think that's only good for Ohio State because those guys really have talent. And the more defenses may come out and start to you know key on the, the two the two big guys, the two veterans. Um, if you want to call Garrett Wilson a veteran at this point, then I think that's going to open things up for for some of these other opportunities.
2: I will be curious. They just have, they're going to have to pay so much attention to Olave and Wilson. Who's next then when teams really, really lean, not that you can double both of them every snap, but like, are we going to see Jamison Williams down the field with some deep balls? We're we going to see more, are we going to see Rucker? Are we going to see some of that in the middle of the field? Again, they kind of had a, a nice route combo with Rucker and Wilson. It went to Wilson. I'm see, I'm curious to see teams are going to have to adjust to this. I mean, like you can't just let Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson r- rip you apart one-on-one. And so once they adjust to that and they really start leaning towards that or putting, you know, an extra safety over top, those guys, there's going to be an adjustment to that. Stephen, you were going to add something. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. You, you said it, you tweeted it out. Actually you said, I'm not surprised that Justin Fields is still in this game and one the game wasn't completely in in, intact the way that I guess Ryan day would want it to be. But also when those freshmen got a chance to get on the field, this is where you can start to build a little bit of that chemistry because you're going to need it going forward. And then also Obviously, they pay Penn State next week, but I think that Rutgers game is where you really pay attention to how the targets are kind of spread out in that game. Because I think that's where Fleming, G. Scott got in late. He didn't get a target in this game, but he got in late. And Jackson Smith and Jigba do a lot of their work because you can do
2: that. Are you saying that they're really going to need G. Scott and Jackson Smith and Jigba against Rutgers if they're going to win? I mean like no. they can't they can't only rely on Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson to beat no. Rutgers not when Rutgers has taken it to Michigan State and not when <laughs> as we sit here recording this Penn State is losing to Indiana right now I tweeted this out I said we all knew there was a big East Division showdown for Ohio State early in the season we just thought it was week 2 not week 3 Rutgers in Ohio Stadium week 3 Greg Schiano the Swamp Monsters are back They took it to Mel Tucker and the fighting Spartans today. Look out for the Scarlet Knights, baby. And I'm sorry to anyone who I made fun of about betting on Rutgers. I I hope you did bet on Rutgers and win lots of money. Rutgers won.
0: Rutgers won. Shout out to you, Rutgers. Yeah, and shout out to Indiana, too, doing their job, I guess. Congratulations to you,
2: Greg Shiano. So, okay, let's get to bad stuff. Uh, It's it's like the ratio. It's like 289. Whoa, my God, what are we going to do in like 11? That was pretty good. Linebackers are the weakest link from the seven four. no shock here that we got a text along these lines. We need to stop playing tough Borland. He may be a leader, but he's not athletic enough and he isn't able to read plays enough. Got to do something there from the five one three. Why is tough Borland allow- allowed to play? Listen, I get it. We get it. We get it. I did think the backers at times looked a little out of sync today. And, I thought there were some things open in the middle of the field. Not that Nebraska did all that much. They had two good drives early, but they hit some tight end stuff in the middle of the field. There's some quarterback run stuff where the linebackers didn't feel like they were necessarily stopping that Nathan. I, you know, again, we've talked about this linebacker group a lot. It's three super experienced seniors who have played a lot of snaps as Ohio state Buckeyes, but two of them are playing new positions. Baron Browning and Pete Warner basically changed jobs. I know sometimes it's much easier for me to, honestly, I have a much better feel for the game because I watched it on TV and I was using my clicker and watching my own replays five times and zeroing in on stuff. I know sometimes when you're trying to cover the game in the press box, you don't see the nuance of every little snap. What was, what, what kind of linebacker vibe did you get Nathan? Well yeah, no, I know
1: I agree with what you're saying, that there were times where it just seemed like they were um the, the the footing wasn't there. Like they just didn't have a a foundation coming into this game. And I think that'll grow over time. You gotta remember too that I think that last year it was easier to play linebacker in this defense, right? Because you had um, a better defensive line in front of you than what this defensive line is right now. That that puts additional pressure on this linebacker group. I mean, they have to do it. They still are the ones that have to step up and figure that out. But it, it, it's just a fact that it, it, it's tougher to play defense. It's tougher to play linebacker in this defense this year than it was last year. So that's an adjustment that they're going to have to make. It's a growth that's going to have to happen on this defense for it to get um, better over time. I also think that maybe we shouldn't discount, the uh, what it meant to have Jordan Fuller at the back of that defense last year, helping kind of coordinate the defense on the field a little bit. And now you're breaking in somebody new there, two new guys there. So all those things kind of play together. I think it's, it's an area where they probably come out of this game, should have come out of this game saying they're not that happy with how they played. They need to play better. They should know they have to play better. But um, you got seven more of these before you get to the championship weekend to, for, the, for them to get better.
2: So, the very first text we got when I sent it out was from the five one three Our defense looks slow today. Nebraska running wide, and we cannot contain that. And then that was followed up by uh, let me count a hundred and thirty six <laughs> texts that all just said, it's two thousand eighteen again two thousand and eighteen defensive flashback. That's a little much, Steven, isn't it? It's not two
0: thousand eighteen with this defense it's- is it? It's not the first series was because of all those missed tackles that led to that forty-seven yard run in the first place. But no, it got better. Uh, I, I think part of it is you don't really have any real game film on Nebraska. You have last year to go off of, but nothing really new and, and concrete. But also, yes, the two linebackers who are going to play the most snaps are getting used to new positions out there. But yes, the key to that is also you don't have Malik Garrison who you could rely on. You knew he was going to be good out there. But more importantly, yes. Jordan Fuller, sometimes linebackers are going to miss tackles and you need somebody back that who can be the eraser and clean that up for you. Marcus Hooker didn't do that on the first couple of drives there. And I think that's why he got, I think he got pulled on one of the, one of the series. He got pulled out of the safety spot for a second there. Cause he really wasn't doing his job. It took him a quarter to really settle down in that position.
2: I thought Baron Browning was out of position a couple times. I think there was, there was a play the Taylor Martin, no, the Adrian Martinez run, the touchdown run to the Right. I think you could see Baron Browning like got caught inside when there was sort of no reason for him to be in there. And then I, there was another snap. Uh, I think it was the play where the guy, where the Nebraska guy got hit and kind of landed on his head. And there was some question about, was there a fumble or not, but there wasn't. And then he was down for a little bit, but he was open in the middle, middle of the field on that play. And if you look standing like two yards right next to each other, are Baron Browning and tough Borland like they're, they, could have had their arms around each other. They were standing in the exact same spot and like nobody was standing where the tight end who caught the ball was standing. It just felt like that happened at times. One of the early runs wide, I think the McCaffrey run, Baron Browning got blocked on the edge and Pete Warner got blocked early as he was trying mm-hmm. to come across. And that was why Pete Warner was a half step late to trying to make a tackle there. And he made up trying to make a diving tackle and he couldn't do it. And it's because he got blocked early in the play. Listen, they're going to try to block linebackers. I get it. It, it did not feel, and I, and I apologize, I, I sent out a text about this, and we got some response on this. Who's the playmaker? Who's the, the guy on the defense that it's like, hey, this is getting away from us a little bit. And I know Sean Wade, but like a corner can't make a play unless they're throwing at him, frankly. I mean, it's like a corner's not going to come up, and he can't be your leading tackler. That popped in my head, and a lot of other texters said the same kind of thing. Nathan, did that pop in your head at all during the course of this game?
1: Yeah. Again, I mean, I think last year where you just had so many guys on that defense that could potentially be that, um, and, and this year it, it's got to emerge. It's going to have to merge with time. Speaking specifically about the linebackers, though. Let's go back to some of the conversations that we've had with this team that we've relayed to to our podcast listeners over time. What did Pete Werner say was going to be the biggest adjustment about moving from the Sam to the will? It was going to be his vision and how he sees the field and the, the reactions you make off of that. Just knowing how to watch the game as it's happening in front of you. What did he say was the thing that he's trying to help Baron Browning with as much as anything as he moves over to Sam. It was how to see the field It's where your eyes are supposed to be at all times. And I think that explains a little bit of what, what, people are seeing as far as this kind of slow motion that you were seeing from the defense is that they're still learning how to want how to face another team an unexpected offense and um uh, and and know how to just react to it and see it i mean i think uh, that sounds so basic but i think that that was a big part of this and i think just getting this first game under your feet helps you so much as you're going into the next week
0: i think there's also something to the fact that Sean Wade's job right now is being split up into two different people. His job from 2019 as a slot cornerback. You've got the guy covering the slot, but then whenever Sean Wade would be a corner blitzing last season, that's now, you know, what Josh Proctor does. And so, it, I don't know, maybe that's your – not to put all that emphasis on job, but that those two jobs were one person last year, which is why Sean Wade was so effective in that is because you didn't have to take somebody off the field to get another element of the game, while this year you do. And that probably
2: plays a role. So that that interests me because we did see – not that it's a straight, like, Marcus Williamson slot corner, Josh Proctor third down nickel rotation, but it's kind of that. That that feels like that a little bit, or whether you call it, okay, Cam Brown comes in and Marcus Williamson goes out and Josh Proctor comes in for the linebacker. But we did see guys in roles a little bit Mm -hmm. there. But I thought there actually would be more rotation at linebacker. And that's a question from the 419. Why so little rotation at linebacker? Nathan, I think we saw Dallas Gantt come in at one point when Tuff was hurt for a moment. And I know Dallas Gantt had a fumble, forced a fumble on a play. I did think we, we saw Taraja Mitchell at least on a play or two. I had really thought maybe there was a role for Dallas Gantt in nickel. Maybe there was some more rotation at linebacker. It didn't feel like that happened a ton and i do maybe wonder if that's something we see a little more of down the road what did you think of of maybe how little or how how much the backup linebackers played
1: yeah you know i think i was expecting this defense to be even more multiple than it was it was more multiple than it was last year as far as like the personnel they were mixing in and giving us some different or not giving them to us i suppose giving them to nebraska more than us some different looks and some some different um uh, uh, um choreography of guys but i i did expect to see it more i did expect maybe to see those guys in those situations you're, you're talking about with those nickel situations where instead this year it was more werner and somebody else but that was also because we were expecting um browning maybe to be more in that rush end position than he was in this game and maybe that's situational maybe against a different opponent that doesn't have an adrian martinez at quarterback maybe that's something that they do look at more there i don't know but what we'll see as that that develops or maybe as they they like their depth at, at certain places more they'll they'll trade they'll they'll move to that. But for this week, we didn't see that. That was where last year it would have been. Um, Browning as the guy coming in for Borland to being in the nickel positions. And this year that they just kind of went with two starters there.
2: I'm not trying to like, just feed in to the thing that's easy to say. I think tough Borland did play too much. I, I think he's better when it's a rotation. Um, I know. I just he he did. He looked he looked a little slow to me on some of the plays. Again, I mean, it's some of those. It's like, hey, I'll, I'll, this is what I feel like I see with the linebackers. Sometimes Browning's in the wrong spot. Warner gets blocked, and Borland's just not fast enough to get there. And so, the first two things can get fixed, and the third one is just something that we all feel like we've seen for several years. And I just do think at some point they're going to have to get a rotation at middle linebacker, whether it's with Gantt or Mitchell. It feels like it probably would be Gantt, but I think they're going to be a better defense if sometimes when they're out there on second and six, Dallas Gantt's the middle linebacker.
1: I had an exchange with one of our colleagues in the press box where he was like, man, if, if, if tough Borland gets there, he's going to hit you. And I'm like, yeah, but is he going to get there? Like that's, and that's, that is a question that it's fair to ask right now in the way that this defense wants to play and the, the, the aspirations this team has.
2: And I'm not trying to pick on a guy. It's just we we all feel like we do see it. Clearly the coaches see lots of other things that he does well. The reason he plays is not because the coaches are dumb. Okay? It's because they value the things he does do well, which is lead, get the defense set, be a calming presence in the middle of the defense, and we've said it a million different times. If you have 10 NFL guys around tough borland and tough borland's helping everybody do the right thing, great setup. When you lose Chase Young and Malik Harrison and Jeff Okuda and Jordan Fuller and Davon Hamilton and a bunch of NFL guys, then you notice it a little bit. But on the other hand, if you have a bunch of young guys, listen, Hooker did it today, never did it before. Proctor did it today, never did it before. Williamson did it today, never did it before. Seven Banks did it today, never did it before. Baron Browning and Pete Warner did it in new spots. They were guys nobody really has any experience doing what they did on Saturday. So then I do understand, well, then you need tough Borland even more. If you're trying to figure out where, who's supposed to, what I get why tough Borland is in there, but then maybe if someone else has to go make that play. So it's not relying on tough Borland because he's going to help this defense be ready. But once the ball snapped, we, you can't rely on tough Borland to be the guy chasing somebody down to make a tackle. Josh Proctor has to do that. Pete Werner has to do that. Baron Browning has to do that. Marcus Hooker has to do that. Seven Banks has to do that. Tyreek Smith has to do that. And I felt like there were too many times today where we just we just didn't see that enough. From the 5-1-3, what did you think about the tackling? I thought it was arm tackling that led to yards gained. The good news is it can be fixed. I think you arm tackle when you're not there because you're a half step slow to where you're supposed to be because you're uncertain. You don't arm tackle. If you're in the right spot and you read the play correctly, then you wrap up and you get your whole body into it. If you're a half step slow and you're diving at a guy and you're trying to make an arm tackle, that's what it is. I do think, and this is like the overriding question. This is a, where a lot of consternation was from the six one four. Will this defense eventually be good enough to win a national championship? It, it wasn't great today, Stephen, but it's not just about how it was today as you're trying to read both how much better might it get and what is the level it has to get to for this team to be able to do what it wants to do. I think we talked a lot in the preseason. They don't have to have the best defense in the country. Did you see Justin Fields? They don't have to have the best defense in the country. But where is your head trying to sort of analyze all of that as you watch the defense that kind of was average today?
0: I think it can, get, it can be better because, as you said, a lot of stuff can get fixed. You can't fix Seth Borland, but Baron Browning and Pete Warner are going to get more comfortable in these roles as they, as the season goes on. I mean, we think the defensive ends are going to play better. We think that. I mean, they, did, they were terrible at stopping the run today. They got to the – Nebraska got to the outside as much as they wanted to. We think Marcus Hooker is going to get more comfortable as he plays this role more often. Josh Proctor is pretty good in this role already. He missed a tackle in a whole once, but for the most part, I think we can – he'll be okay there. I didn't have a problem with what Seven Banks did today at all, and we know Sean Wade's going to be – all-American level. We know that. So a lot of this stuff is going to improve as the season goes on. And they can put up 50 points out of these, as we saw today. I think they can do that. They have that ability. So I think when you look around the country and see what some other defenses are also dealing with, it might turn into a situation of, can Ohio State's defense get a stop in the third quarter when it's needed, even if it gave up 27 points that day, and it's still good enough to win an national championship? Yeah, I think so.
2: And I always it's like one of those things that's like freak out, freak out, freak out. Then say okay, but. So the okay, but is they only gave up seventeen, they got hit on the first drive on a big play where Nebraska put its backup quarterback at running back, Mm -hmm. and it was like okay, well I don't know, did you think that was going to happen? And that hit him. So it's like there's some goofy stuff. Adrian Martinez is not incompetent. I don't think he's consistent. I don't, I wouldn't want Adrian Martinez like for my quarterback for 60 minutes for like a drive where he gets a little wiggly and does a little bit. I mean, that guy can do a little bit. So he's I, loose with the ball though. I he didn't is want loose, Inconsistent, but maybe make a play here or there. They don't have great skill guys. They don't have great receivers. They don't have, they, they didn't really, you didn't fear the passing game that much, but they've got a little wrinkle stuff in the run game. The defense was better, Nathan, in the second half, right? I mean, it's not like Nebraska ran over them all game. And and I felt like, you know, we listened to Kerry Combs. We only got four people post game: Ryan Day, Kerry Combs, Justin Fields, and Wyatt Davis. So Kerry Combs was the only one who talked about the defense at all. It felt like with Kerry, Nathan, that he was kind of like, yeah, we gave up some stuff, but it's week one after a pandemic with a bunch of guys doing a new thing. It, It didn't feel like Kerry Combs was panicked.
1: I mean, for a game that ends fifty-two to seventeen or whatever, well, I mean, it, 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 you get it's easier to forget sometimes that in the late in the first half it's seventeen fourteen and Nebraska's got the ball. And so, Nebraska's got a chance right there. If they drive down, they can tie it. They can take a lead going into halftime. Not not where we thought this Ohio State team would be. It would have been like 2018. Nebraska led at halftime of that game here in Ohio Stadium. And I thought that last defensive series of the first half was the, the best of the game, or the best of the first half by far for Ohio State, getting, you know, forcing them, getting that sack by Garrett the other takedown of a Martinez, and then the punt with a penalty, and then they go in and score. I mean, I thought that's where the game changed. Now they're up by 10. They get the ball back to start the second half. They score. And it's kind of off to the races. They needed kind of that moment. And we didn't have a lot of games last year where it seemed like it was going to kind of hinge on a moment at any time. At least the first, you know, 11 games or 10 games of last season weren't that way. I will remind people, though, that we came out of, I thought, the Florida Atlanta game last year, still kind of looking at this team sideways like, all right, I mean, that was a nice big run by Justin Fields. But like, what about this thing? What about this thing? J.K. Dobbins wasn't that great. They gave up some yards. Like, what's going on? And then the next week they obliterated Cincinnati and people were like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> this might be a thing. And it turned out to be a thing. So we'll see what happens
2: against Penn State. The hard thing is next week's not Cincinnati, it is Penn State who right. is still losing to Indiana as we talk. Um, I did want to get to this, and then I, get, I want to get into a little bit of the nitty-gritty of what it was like to cover the game today, but I did miss, as much as I enjoyed eating my chilies here on my couch and having the clicker to go back and forth. I missed like the press box scuttlebutt a little bit, you know, like hey, just you know talking to guys about this or that, first of all, could you do that? Like, were guys, was everybody like during the game or were you distanced enough? Were there dividers? Could you like make snarky comments to your colleagues or was that not, were you not able to do that?
0: No, you could. It's basically every other seat. And so you're close enough to still hear people, but you're still socially distanced. Um, when Demario McCall came out for the kick return and the punt return, there was conversations about that. Yeah, it, it's really normal. It's just not as cluttered and close together as it usually would be in a press box up here.
1: Most of the butt that I scuttled was just with Bill Rabinowitz, who was sitting closest to me on, on the right side. So it, it's really it, – you can still do it, but it's it, it felt a lot more um, segmented. Like, you, you weren't – it didn't feel as, like, congregation-like as it usually does.
0: Go, yeah, you can't get up and go talk to somebody who's not near you. Well,
2: unless you're Tim May, then you can do whatever you want. But, yeah. Tim May, immune to COVID, by the yeah. way, I just – his his body, much like Odell, his body would not accept. I believe it. COVID nineteen. Uh, Bill Rabinowitz, heck of a butt scuttler. I I so I wonder, was there any butt scuttling about this? I, I think you noted it in the pregame, uh, Nathan, that like Zach Harrison was with like the third team or something in the pregame snaps mm-hmm. was not on the field early. I think Tyler Friday and Tyreek Smith started at defensive end Jonathan Cooper I think it felt was were Jonathan Cooper and Javante John Baptiste the second I think it was
1: Cooper and Friday they were the first ones
2: Cooper and Friday and
1: they it I so. felt like they played the most snaps too and as uh, people with De- the Texas
0: would say a lot of our problems would be when those two were on the field together
2: but any any I don't know it just felt like Zach Harrison if ever I mean I, I raise your hand if you thought Zach Harrison would be the best defensive end on this team my hand is raised uh, it just felt like he he was playing there then in the second half and stuff, but any any butt Scotland about that? I don't know how much to read into that.
1: I mean I, I do I, I, it is weird that he didn't play more snaps. I don't know why you wouldn't want him playing more snaps. Now when you're talking about a rotation there, are there reasons why they want why they want him paired with someone else besides being paired with a Tyreek Smith or a Tyler Friday and let somebody else pair with those two guys so then Harrison's a third I don't know and we didn't get a chance to ask that question I'm sure it'll be asked this week as we have um, interviews with coaches and and things going forward but no it definitely struck me as being a little bit odd because just because if you had to pick the two best guys if you're going to say who are the two best defensive ends and who you would start I think a lot of people would probably vote for Zach Harrison one of those two guys and he had I don't know did he end up playing even more snaps than Javante Jean-Baptiste played today I'll be curious to see it yeah if,
0: if I have one overreaction or something right now it's I don't like this rotation it feels it feel, it felt this way when we first talked about the fact that it's probably you rotate you rotate you rotate and then in the fourth quarter of a game that matters, you put the two people who matter the best the mo- who have who have been the most impactful in that game and it just felt like at times they were trying to find
2: you know a matchup a, a combination that worked and I, I didn't like it were the defensive ends impactful? I'm trying to think of like a play that somebody made and there are not a ton leaping to mind. Now, again, Nebraska is not exactly dropping back to pass with seven step drops either. So I get that. But Nathan, I don't know. Just not a lot there. Right. I think if and and this is not fair, but it's also fair. If Chase Young were in this game, I think you would have felt him. I don't know that I felt any defensive end in this game.
1: Yeah, and I didn't expect to feel any single player the way you would feel Chase Young every single play of every game that he played last season. I just, both in terms of the offensive line and the defensive line, I thought I expected more from Ohio State. I thought – and maybe that's some credit to Nebraska, too. Nebraska bringing back its entire starting offensive line. Nebraska has some talented guys up front, I think. So I'm going to give them some credit, too. I thought they played well. I just thought, especially on the offensive line, but I know when I were talking about the defensive line in there, too, I just felt like Ohio State would be able to assert itself a little bit more. Um, even Especially when we found out that they were going to have Garrett and we thought maybe even have Vincent. And that would just give them an an extra veteran guy in the middle – and in the defensive ends, especially, I kind of agree. I don't know that I really like felt them, but again, that's, that, it is a difficult thing to say when you're watching a game here, it's flying by in front of you. So I'll, I'll go back and watch the game tonight. and Maybe think differently.
2: It, it's hard. It's hard. And it's early. And so it'll get better. Uh, but I do think, do I think it's reinforcing what we all thought. Do I think anybody on this defense will be like chase young by the end of the year? No. Will anyone be like, Jeff Okuda. I mean, maybe Sean Wade will, but then will anyone be like Sean Wade was last year or Damon Arnett? No. Will anyone be, you know, if they're just, they're not going to be quite as good. They're just not. And they're not going to have guys that in a moment you can say, well, maybe chase will do something here. Maybe Malik Harrison will do something here. There's going to be, has to have to be more collaborative. And I think they will get better. I I'm, It is not 2018, 168 texters who are feeling that. And I'm not making fun of you for feeling that because I get it. You are scarred still by what that felt like. But I do think Joel Klatt said this, and we got to take a break here in a second. Joel Klatt said on the broadcast, he's not sure if they have the personnel to run this defense. Part of the issue two years ago was what Shiano had schemed up, just had guys in the wrong spot. He had linebackers up at the line of scrimmage because they were trying to take pressure off the defensive line and like guys were like out of position all the time. It didn't feel like the scheme was bad. And, and I don't know that I agree that playing a single high safety is going to kill them. Cause it didn't today. I mean, Marcus Hooker, as we noticed, didn't make every single play, but they didn't certainly didn't throw over the top of this defense or anything. And I don't know that anybody in the big 10 will do that. So I don't think there is a fundamental root problem with this defense, the way there was in 2018. I think they need some dudes to play better. And again, they don't need to play at the level of last year's defense, but they need to play better than they did on Saturday. We will be back with a look at the Ohio state running backs. A look at how we think about who the backup quarterback was on Saturday and a discussion about what Nathan Beard. I was going to say what Nathan Beard. Anyone ever call you Nathan Beard? Yeah. Dumb people. Speaking of dumb people, I got in a fight in the post game too. Nathan Baird should shave. Oh. What should Nathan Baird shave right after this on Buckeye Talk? All right, we're back on Buckeye Talk. I just want to say to the 419 I am feeling your text. That is in all caps. Was this a good game? Three exclamation points. It is, it is the burden of the Ohio State beat. It is the burden of being an Ohio State fan that you look at a 35-point win and you think to yourself, was that good? I get it. I'm feeling you. I understand it. And Nathan, just I want to make sure if at any point during the podcast you forget what the exact score was, you may just refer to it as a 35-point Ohio State win. Just to think to yourself, they won by 35. Ohio State had 35 more points than its, its opponent. That's just a helpful little trick for you. Here we go from the 509. How worried should we be about the running backs? Do you think it's going to be this rough all year long, or will it get better as they finally have a game under their belt? I've got thoughts upon thoughts about this, but Stephen, we'll start with you. Trey Sermon, Master Teague, basically split it. Final breakdown was 12 carries for Teague for 41, 11 carries for Sermon for 48, and then we'll get to the third guy in a moment. What did you think of the two primary running backs for Ohio State in this game, Stephen?
0: Um, I'm not going to overreact, uh, overreact yet because J.K. didn't look good in week one either. But I will say this. One thing I noticed about both of those running backs is they're very good at getting however many yards to play with design for. If it's designed for four, they're going to get you four. But Tony Alford, always, he, he said this a lot last year. A running back's job is when a play is designed for four yards, you get six or seven yards. That's where your your job comes in after the line has done its part. Now the line wasn't perfect; um, it had it had some mistakes in both the pass pro and the run, running run blocking today. But those guys would get to a point where okay, this is what the play is designed for, and then they get tackled unless the hole was wide open. And that's what Master Teague's two touchdown runs were—a wide open hole where honestly I could have walked through that hole and got a touchdown on that play. So uh, that's my biggest problem with them right now is. They don't get more than what a player is designed for, which is a problem. You're not a great
2: running back if you can't do that. 23 carries for 99 yards. I don't think they got a single yard on their own. Nathan, what do you think of the running backs?
1: I think what you're saying is true. I was not impressed by them, you know, being able to turn nothing into something or turn something into something more. I will say, though, and I'm kind of eager to go back and and watch the film. I, I, I saw a lot of times where they were getting hit in the backfield. I mean, they were they weren't like getting up to the line unencumbered. And I know that's part of running back's job too. Sometimes you're going to have to get past a guy. I just thought it was happening a lot. I, I didn't think this was a, a real strong game by the offensive line and a lot of, uh, a lot of points. I do think though, that they need to win. The hole is there. They need to hit it better, make something more of it than what they were doing in today's game.
2: I thought they were slow to the hole. I thought they were tentative Mm -hmm. to the hole. And I thought some of the times they got caught in the backfield is because they are not getting the ball and going, which is why I want to bring up the third guy, Steele Chambers, who I thought hit the hole. Now they were back in their own end zone when they put Steele Chambers in the game. He had one good run coming out of the end zone. It was like a five yard run. It wasn't a world beater run, but it was a little bit of a sliver of a hole and he got through it. And then on third and 13, they ran a surrender draw and he got a first down on it. So sometimes you hit a team on a draw and there was a hole there, but he hit it quick. I, I don't know exactly, right? I mean, there was some – from the way they talked about it in the preseason, does it feel like just a, a yes or no that they have said Master Teague is not quite 100% yet. He's ready to go but not quite himself. Is that a fair assessment?
1: I mean, he started. He started yeah. and had more carries than Sermon did.
0: It, it was more of a – if they would have played the normal year schedule, he probably wouldn't have been ready to go.
1: Yeah, yeah. but I think they've said all along that he's ready to go now. I don't think there were any restrictions on him in terms of usage today. There were just Mm -hmm. restrictions on him in terms of how many uh, Nebraska players were dragging him down.
2: There, When Tuff Borland came back from his Achilles injury a couple years ago, he was ready for the start of the season, which was surprising. But when he got out there, he didn't look like himself. You could tell that he wasn't 100%. And then a year later, he was like, yeah, I wasn't 100%. So I want to give Master Teague the benefit of the doubt. He had a series a serious Achilles injury in March. Mm-hmm. And it's only October, but they're slow to the hole. I, I, I don't think there's any dispute about that. And Steel Chambers hit the hole. And I thought there was at least one run by Sermon where he had a hole, a hole to his left that J.K. Dobbins would have hit and would, it would have added 30 yards to a run. There's no wiggle on these guys. Mm-hmm. There is no wiggle of if Master Teague is all downhill, as you guys said, this reminds me a lot of Mike Weber. Mike Weber, people liked Mike Weber. If Mike Weber had a hole as uh, 10 yards wide, he'd hit it and would be gone. But if he had to do something, if he had to find it, he couldn't find it. I don't think these guys can find a hole. At least they couldn't today. I think they were tentative hitting it. I think steel chambers based off what I saw today should be more involved in this run game. I'll be very curious to see how that goes. And I think it, I think it's kind of an issue. This is the one thing today. And we have the 84 texts on it. And I read them. I swear I'm going to read them all. We can't get to every specific thing. But a lot of you are wondering about this. The question was, and Nathan, I think you put, it's an interesting way to put it. And and maybe I said, I think I kind of disagree. I texted that I disagreed kind of with one of your texts. But I want to give you the chance to exactly state what you meant. You said if they don't have a competent run game, then they might not be a championship team. So that I think is the issue. I don't think it's going to be a good run game. I don't think these backs are going to be that good. And I will tell you, I'm not trying to be negative, but I'm trying to be realistic because I think some people blew smoke on some people about this running back duo, not here, but other people who cover the team and that's fine. And if I'm wrong, Come back on the podcast next week if Master Teague runs for 160 yards. I'll be here for it. I'm telling you it's what I honestly think right now. Trey Sermon had a 16-yard run in the second half where he got outside a little bit and made a cut. That's what Trey Sermon did at Oklahoma. With a 30-point lead and a tired defense in the fourth quarter, he breaks a 15-yard run. Who cares?
1: He was averaging 3.7 yards a carry before that.
2: I don't care. Like, right. it's, wipe, too much. wipe out the 16-yard run. That's part of what I was worried about with him. I think he padded his stats in in the second half against bad Big 12 defenses. And guess what? You want to know a secret? Nebraska's a bad Big 12 defense. They just came to the Big 10 a decade ago. <laughs> so, I'm telling you, in the first half, when they got – how many times did they get stopped on third and short? Those running backs, right up the middle. Nothing. Yeah. The they did. They
0: had to start doing a QB sneaks on fourth down because of it.
2: They better figure out what their what their third or fourth and short package is because it's not handed these running backs not the way it looked today.
1: And I think so. I don't know what which thing you were going to push so back. So here's my thing: fact-
2: you said if they they need a competent run game to be a championship team. I guess the question is, what is your definition of a competent run game? Because I think my my thing would be. I think average might be good enough. I don't think it's ever going to be more than average this year with those tailbacks, but that might be good enough if Justin Fields, Garrett Wilson, and Chris Olave are lighting it up all day.
1: It has to be better than today. I don't know that I would argue that today was average.
2: Or what? Okay. So how would you – I guess so your point is, hey, listen, they got stopped on a bunch of third and shorts. Like if you're playing a top 25 team, that's probably going to hurt you.
1: right? yeah. yeah. Uh, Okay. I, you know there's going to be times where you have to get one yard, you have to get two yards, and you and you can't, I don't think, rely on that to be Justin Fields every single time. You the other team, the, the opposing defense has to respect your run game. I don't, you know, I I, and I think what? Nebraska probably did or because what? then I don't because then they get to key more on your passing game.
2: But that's one of those things. It's like, I don't know if you if you key on Ohio State's passing game, does that mean you're going to stop it? You might be able to key on it and still not stop it. So
1: in the games that we're talking about, the, the, the Clemsons, the Alabama's, is a Big Ten championship game potentially against another good team. It doesn't have they don't have to shut it down. But you start talking. The margin for error becomes much smaller. You start talking about a handful of opportunities per game that if a team can take away from you, that maybe makes a difference in that game. Do I need to take you back? To December against Clemson. I mean, that happened. Right. It almost happened against Wisconsin. I mean, it almost happened against Penn State last year. When, when the, the, the margin for error gets gets decreased, it isn't about one team shutting another one down. But in games like this, the margin for error is huge. That's why Nebraska, Ohio State can still win by 35 points on a day when it didn't play well in so many facets. There's games where it, this same performance is going to be a loss.
0: I, I might be overthinking this, but it sounds very similar to 2018 where the passing game was amazing and the running game was just terrible except the difference is your quarterbacks a run threat. And so I, I think that point eases point. some of that a little bit.
2: It, it does. You're exactly right. The fact that Justin Fields, and that's what we'll transition into next is a run threat is a big deal. I don't think either of these part of the issue in 2018 was we had seen it from JK the year before. Yeah. And then yeah. we weren't seeing it. I don't, I don't buy what Trey Sermon did at Oklahoma to the extent that I bought what, what JK Dobbins did as a freshman at Ohio state. And I don't buy what master Teague did last year to the extent. So it felt to me like in 2018, it was like, man, why can't they run it better? Remember last year when JK was good. I don't feel like if you feel like Trey Sermon has that track record at Oklahoma, I don't feel it. I know what the stats say. I know he had a couple good games here and there. That's what I question. And if you feel like master Teague had that track record as a third team, all big 10 running back as Dobbins backup last year, I don't feel it. I don't think it's there. And I am not expecting them to be better than average. What they did today, and I'm not being critical of them. I'm pushing back against anybody who was, I think, unnecessarily bought into what they thought they could be. This is what I thought. And this is what I expect. And can they win around it? Now a little better. I think, Nathan, to your point, and that's the thing too. Competent meaning what? Competent meaning the first nine games of the season or competent meaning the playoff? So I get it. And also, eight weeks until the Justin Fields-Graham Mertz showdown in the Big Ten Championship. Mertz versus Fields in Indianapolis on December 19th. And people can get mad and think, "Don't look ahead, it's going to happen. I didn't think that was good, but I wasn't surprised by it. Of all the things, if what you are taking away, and this is not maybe, it's probably in the 296 text replies, and I couldn't find it yet. Nathan, and we'll all do this, Nathan, what are you most concerned about? Not worried necessarily, but concerned about coming out of this game about this Ohio State team. Because mine's the run game. Mine's the run game. Mine is yeah, this. Yeah, I know I th- you're going to take
1: the runs game. So I wanted real. to pick something yeah. different. But say
2: it. But don't say it. But if you th- let's have all three say the run game, if that's what we think. I think it's this. And I think this is real. And I think, I think it was this the run is what it's going to look like.
1: I think it was a run game and the one thing i did want to mention and i think you're, you're the more i think about it you may be right and when i go back and watch the the game i, I may it may be more apparent to me that the uh the running backs were, were were slow the hole as you're saying and that's why they were getting hit in the backfield as much i just felt like the offensive line overall would maybe assert itself more than it did today i don't i'm not like i don't think the offensive line is going to hold this team back necessarily but i just kind of felt like maybe they would come out and impose their will a little bit fields did still get sacked three times today the problems they had running the ball i just think this is a that's it's another unit that's going to have to be better going forward. Steven, what are you concerned about?
0: It's the run game because, yes, Justin Fields can run, but that needs to be a bonus. This pass game is a, is amazing, and I want him back there throwing the Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, and as those other receivers get more reps, those guys as well. I, I'd rather him do that with the occasional, oh, everybody's covered. I just took off for 15 yards. Than the, oh, my God, we have to run Justin Fields 20 times because he's our best running back. But then also – these ends, I, I I'm very concerned about this rotation,
2: the defensive end rotation. Yeah, I'm very concerned right now.
0: I didn't so think it would. I would. I didn't think it would look like that.
2: So, Stephen, you did the game time decisions. The three of us each say a thing before the game on Saturday morning that we think is going to play a big role in the game, and then Stephen, you played off of that for your first story after the game. Do you have what my game time decision was? Do you have that easily accessible in front and, of you? Yeah,
0: it, it was it was Justin Fields running the ball.
2: Is so what I th- it was. I don't have. it. Th- I think I said 12 carries. I think that was my mm-hmm. number that I said of like, and again, watching it at home, getting to see this. Urban Meyer very, said very, was very certain in the pregame. They do not want to run Justin Fields. Joel Klatt during the game. They do not want to run Justin Fields. Justin Fields ran it 15 times for 54 yards. I, I don't care what they want to do. I don't think they get to do what they want to do. I think they have to run him. And he can't stop himself. He scrambled. He kept the ball in zone reads. This is what it's going to look like all year. Now, listen, if they're beating Maryland by 60, they're not going to run him. But if you don't realize this is what Justin Fields looks like in this offense, he's going to run it 12 to 18 times a game every time they say they play anybody with a pulse. And that's he's he can't help it when there's not something there to throw. He's going to run. When he's making a read and he has a choice to make, and it's like, well, give it to this. It's close. Give it to this guy or do it myself. He's going to keep it. This is what it's going to be like. And I get it. You don't want him to get hurt. I get it. He's going to play. He's going to play football. He's here to play football. He's not playing scared. And Ryan Day, after every game, and every time we ask about it it during the week, he's going to say, we don't want to run him. And then on Saturday, he's going to run. Because he's the best runner on this team. It's not close. He's the most dangerous. He's really good at it. And that Steven, you were right. That's the big difference from 2018. I'm just telling you there is zero part of me that is going to wait around for these running backs to be anything other than average this year. So I was 0% surprised by how long into the game, Justin Fields played. And I was 0% surprised by him running 15 times because this, whether you like it or not is the formula. That was Buckeye talk. No, it's not. We got to talk about me beating Nathan in the bet. Whoop, whoop, baby. Okay, what do you? I was gonna say the real quick
1: on Justin Fields. You you predicted twelve carries, and he had twelve he carries that were either designed runs or yeah. scrambles or whatever. And in three sacks, that's how you got to fifteen. So
2: yeah. So also, I think I said sixty-two seventeen for the final score. It was fifty-two seventeen. So once again, I completely have the pulse of this team. I don't also, know. There's, I think Dan Hope has it better than anybody. What'd he do? He predicted 52 to 17 was his prediction. You know what was the worst prediction today? Ohio State shutting out Nebraska. Hey, listen, was, <laughs> yeah, that, 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 died, that died in,
0: in, in a minute and 11 seconds. Thank you.
2: Thank so you, linebackers, for your inability I, to tackle. I get that it was an outrageous prediction that you said Ohio State was shut out Nebraska, but it's not supposed to be. a physically impossible prediction that no way was this defense shutting anybody out, but they did sort of, they did get it together in the second half for sure.
0: I would have been fine with it happening in the third or fourth quarter. Like the way that most shutouts get blown, get messed up. For it to happen that quickly. It's just like, well, okay, well, I can not worry about that anymore.
2: So I want to talk about the guy that I actually think is Ohio state's best player. And that is backup quarterback, Jack Miller. Jack Miller, a lot of questions about Jack Miller. And I'm only saying this because Jack Miller scored a touchdown he wasn't supposed to score. And he got me the win, the 35 point Ohio State win. Nathan, just so people are listening to this, they didn't know it. The line officially was 26 before the game, but we had made a bet on 29. When you weeks ago, weeks ago, when you had predicted your score, you middled it. You said, I think, a 27-point win. And until the last 20 seconds, Ohio State was winning by 28. You were about to successfully hedge and middle perfectly that you were taking Ohio State minus the actual line, but you were going to win the bet with me. That was three points more. And then Jack Miller scored a touchdown that Ryan Day didn't want him to actually score. And that's why I'm gloating right now. Can you briefly explain what happened and what Ryan Day said about it in the postgame for people who didn't hear it?
1: Yeah, yeah. The true just just acts right into my soul of all of this is like the first thing out of Ryan Day's mouth when he gets out there. He's like, yeah, we shouldn't have scored that last touchdown. I really wish I'd just taken a knee. Um, I'm going to go apologize to Scott Frost for that. I really feel bad about it. So yeah, I, I totally get the hose on this. And uh, uh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? That's, if you can't take the swings, you shouldn't be, uh, you, don't, you shouldn't sit at the table. So I guess the question is, do I have to shave you or do you shave yourself? I don't believe and, uh, I agree to any shaving.
2: And it's Can like you really
1: shave social distancing, though?
2: Well, like I, I would break it. it. I won't leave my house to cover a football game, but I would go to Nathan's <laughs> to leave house to shave, to shave him. Um, we actually got, like, more than 60 responses of what the bet should be. We, we talked about it a little bit. We never decided. Uh, we will have it on the Monday podcast on Buckeye Talk. I will work it out. I will present the most logically possible things. And then Nathan, knowing that he lost, will get to pick the one that he finds reasonable, but not is not painful. Cause he, he's going to have to deal with it now. So we do appreciate everybody who suggested the bet again, Doug minus 29 was victorious. Thanks to the 35 point win. And thanks to Jack Miller being the guy that they put in for Justin Fields. We got a million text questions on this. Again, if you want to be a tech subscriber and you want to participate in the podcasts, send a text to 614-350-3315 and you get to ask a question like this one, which we'll get to right after this. Back in the final stretch of Buckeye Talk before Steven and Nathan get kicked out of the press box from the 302, Jack Miller playing before CJ Stroud, a sign of things to come? or a pat on the back for staying committed. So Jack Miller was Ohio State's first recruit, uh, first quarterback recruit in the class of 2020. Got hurt, stayed in. They stuck with him. He's from Arizona. They recruit C.J. Stroud from California late. Jack Miller doesn't decommit. Stephen, we have talked about how they are doing everything they can to keep these guys equal. Mm-hmm. What did you make, Steven, if anything, of Jack Miller being the first quarterback of those two to get on the field in an actual game?
0: Yeah, it's a little interesting because when we got to watch the 30 minutes of practice, it seemed like C.J. Stroud was taking reps with the second unit. And then before the game, when I was out on the field watching stuff, they literally rotated. All three quarterbacks would rotate with the, the other centers, Harry Miller, Luke Whipler, and then Matt Jones, also taking some snaps in center. They would rotate those guys. So you couldn't even use that to go, okay, this guy's the QB two. So I think what's going to happen is may, maybe it is the pat on the back where are standing so long you're, you get to be the first quarterback to take the field off to Justin Fields. Or maybe it's just – this game, Jack Miller got to go out there first. Maybe next game, if it's if, – against if Penn State, if it's out of hand, or against Rutgers, if it's out of hand, T.J. Stroud's is the first one to take the field. That way, it's ba- it's a back-and-forth thing, so it's equal. And then it, it, in, anything in between right now, maybe for the first couple of weeks is Gunnar Hogan, if it's an emergency situation.
1: I actually hadn't considered that, the thing about who committed first and maybe they would get the first – that actually – right would be a really good reason to do that. I think, cause I actually don't know that it really tells us anything about where the two guys are right now. And I, I, it certainly doesn't to me tell me anything about who's going to eventually win this job next spring. But I, that would be interesting that if, if as kind of a pat on the back, Ryan day saying like, Hey, you, you stuck with us. So chronologically, I think you should be the first one to go. I would respect that.
2: It could it be. I mean, I think if you would have asked the average Ohio state fan or the average Ohio state beat writer, like who, Who would it be? I I think people would have guessed CJ Stroud. And I do think if it had been CJ Stroud, we might be saying things like, Well, that's it. It's CJ Stroud. Jack Miller's gonna transfer. Because I think there had been this assumption CJ Stroud was the later grab. They went and got Stroud after they had Miller. Like, what's going on here? Why would you go get a second guy? And so maybe that might be the other reason he did it. Ryan Day's not. Yeah, it might be
0: just calculated, go, no, 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 this is still equal. It might be pulled an equal footing amongst the public.
2: Yeah, so um, I, I wouldn't read too much into it. I think you you start reading into it again when the same guy comes in time and time again. But the hard thing is now is, you know, again, this Penn State-Indiana game is close. We might not see the backup quarterback against Penn State, and then we're definitely not going to see the backup quarterback against Rutgers because that's a 60-minute uh, game at this point. So hmm. when is Ohio State going to have a blowout? 60?
1: Oh, I think that's, I mean, I, to me, it's how many overtimes they going to have to play to win that game. Yeah. Yeah. That's an upset alert.
2: I, I already sent a message on Twitter to our friends who cover Rutgers and asked them if they wanted to start our preview coverage of the Ohio state Rutgers showdown. Should we start at Sunday? Should we start at tomorrow? Do we need 14 days of it? Or is like 10 days of preview coverage enough between clearly the two best teams in the big 10. Um, I thought, I thought Ohio state, I don't know that there was anything shocking. I think that the fact that we're coming out of here with some defensive questions, not a shock. The fact that we're coming out of here with some running back questions, not a shock. The fact that we're coming out of here, super impressed by the passing game, not a shock. I will say this and I want to run wrap back around to the running game. And again, thanks to all everyone who sent us a text. We can't get to all of them. Wyatt Davis was asked about the run game afterward. And there's sort of the idea of like run fits and a front that you didn't know exactly how they were going to play. I'm not, you know, I just don't know that either of these two backs are going to do much when there's not a huge hole. But I do think there will be bigger holes more often down the line. Nathan, that part of it, that the run game automatically getting better just because it was week one, I don't buy. But the run blocking getting better just because week one can be funky. I think that I did buy.
1: Yeah, again, that's kind of what I was alluding to. I thought that when we even said it, that maybe the star of the running game this year, instead of Ezekiel Elliott, instead of J.K. Dobbins, instead of that kind of person, it was going to have to be this offensive line that was supposed to be one of the best offensive lines in the country and may still be. And I just didn't see that kind of get asserted today doesn't mean it won't get asserted starting as early as next week and maybe for seven, eight, ten more times this season. It just didn't really happen today. But I, you can also chalk that up to just a, a week one thing a little bit. And I think that's some, maybe, maybe that's too easy. Maybe that's too lazy. We, we can't completely write everything that you see off because of that. But this year, more than any, maybe that has some validity.
2: Maybe, yeah, that's, too Dave, to maybe that's too easy. Maybe that's too lazy. Buckeye talk. Go ahead, Stephen. <laughs>
0: Ryan Day kind of alluded to that, too. You spend all this time going up against basically the same front, and that's Ohio State front. And this is the first time that that offensive line has gotten to see what somebody else's defensive scheme looks like against them. So, yeah, it's now that you've seen that and you've got something to put on film, you can adjust to that going forward.
2: And I get it. But, again, I mean, that's why no offense in college football averaged more than three yards per carry in any opener this season, right? Because <laughs> Correct. This is you- what I'm saying. You can't just – right. So, I mean, it's, it's where you want to make the excuses, because if you haven't seen somebody's front, it's impossible to run on them. I mean, you know, I get it. Some of the things are reasonable, but they only can go so far.
1: I mean, it didn't hold Nebraska back from running for 217 no. yards today. So maybe that's,
2: I mean, We did have texters who said, like, I didn't know Jack Miller was Ohio State's best running back. Nebraska played its backup quarterback at running back. Maybe Ohio State needs to do that with Jack Miller. We'll get out on this last one from the 803. How soon until Steel Chambers starts? Would you actually, if you were Tony Alford and Ryan Day, would this game make you think, man, maybe we need to think about Steel Chambers as more of a primary part of this rotation, Stephen?
0: I think you have to try it because if we're going to use this excuse for Master Teague, we have to use it for everybody. Master Teague was effective last year in the second half against tired defenses. Steel Chambers was effective in the third quarter against a tired defense who had already played two quarters. So, yeah, they have to at least see what he looks like when the defense is at least semi-fresh in the first and second quarter to see – were those carries a fluke, or do we have something working here from the only guy who would have had a full spring practice had the world been normal?
2: I think that's a very I, good point about comparing it to Teague a year ago. Go ahead, Nathan.
1: I was just to say, it, but it's, it's, it, you put it in the right context, though, Doug, I think that it's one of those things that will get discussed over the coming week and looked at, analyzed over the coming week, but they go back and watch plays, and it's more about – I think sometimes when we're watching, certainly live, when fans are watching, a lot of times it's – how did that play end up? What was the end result of that play? And they're looking at the minutia that leads all the way up to the end result of that play. So I think that's what gets analyzed a lot this week. And it comes down to who did Nebraska have on the field at that moment? How did, how were they set up all those things play into how they analyze those plays. So too early, I think to make a huge deal out of it, but I think steel chambers certainly helped himself. He he certainly looked strong and, and, and uh, Tony Alford had said that he had a good preseason too, especially back when he was the one guy standing before things really got shut down.
2: I can just see in my head like Tony Alford bringing up film and saying like, running the steel chambers runs and saying like, this is how you hit a hole. Guys, this is how you hit a hole. Now let's look at how you guys hit the hole. And there's a little bit too much dancing. There's some hesitation there. There's some maybe some lack of vision. I don't know. I just was not impressed by a thing that I sort of expected to not be impressed by and it came true. So that's our postgame pod. Thanks to everybody who listens. Again, as you know by now, we're doing it five days a week. We've never done five days a week through a whole season before, but the schedule right now is Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then this post game podcast on Saturday. I have been talking to the guys. I think we are going to have a crossover podcast this week with our friends at penlive.com who cover Penn State. They have started a new podcast called Blue and White Breakdown where they're going, I think, three times a week. They're part of the same company that we are. So I think our, our goal is to record one podcast. It's like a crossover, like when uh, you know when the Brady Bunch people would be on Dukes of Hazzard or whatever. So it's one show, but it'll be their show and our show combined. And I guess if we're doing Dukes of Hazzard, I mean, I guess I'm Bo Duke. I mean, it's not my fault. I just have that kind of vibe to me. So that's the plan. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash OSU. Each of us will have three observations up on Sunday morning. Little things, big things that we thought about this game. That's going to be important. Uh, The Monday Madness column from Nathan Baird is a great read. What's going on with college football? The Buckeye Bash recruiting extravaganza happening this weekend. I'm sure Stephen Beans is going to have stuff on that. We have recruiting stuff almost every day with the recruiting roundup. Great coverage for you. And I'm I'm not lying to you. Our texters are loving it. So if you want to try the text, it's a great time to do it. We had a great time interacting with them during the game on Saturday, and we'll continue to do that every day of the week. 614-350-3315. Thanks for joining us on the postgame pod, Ohio State's 1-0 at Penn State next Saturday night. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.